See, look at this. She comes in here and just starts showing you up. Man. <laughs> and libraries are often cinematic. You know, the rows of books, the peeking over the books to see inside. I mean, it's just perfect for a horror film. Hippo teeth. They're like big wooden teeth, which creeps me out to no end. Are you ready to get loud and frightful in the library? That's how we roll. We're, we're edgy like that. We're outlaws, right? <laughs> She's laughing. Welcome. This is the Fright Club podcast, and she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf, And we are from MadWolf.com, talking about libraries' horrific moments in horror films that revolve around the library. And there's a lot of good ones, and we've got a great special guest to uh, dive into it with us and, uh, and shush us. Shush. That's hard to say. <laughs> Let me try it again. Shush us. That is tough. Shush us in the library. But first, we want to say thanks for the uh, great feedback. Last week, we talked about motorcycles in horror with Jamie Ray, and that turned out to just be a blast. I know for your sake, the, the, the conversation kind of went off the rails a little bit, but it was fun. It was fun. And, it's uh, you know, we did it. The topic was really for you because you are our motorcycler. Actually, Jamie is as well. But I was a little surprised because most of the movies aren't very good and you, you wouldn't like them. But then you That's guys true. got off on this cold check tangent. <laughs> and evil can evil. Right. And I just sat here like, I'll just go then. You guys can. <laughs> but it was fun. And we got we got a lot of great, a uh, lot of great feedback about it. Turns out a lot of other people like cold check and evil can evil. Missy. So uh, we had to give us a little bit of time for that. But we had a few recommendations of ones that we missed. Well, the first one that I can't believe that we missed is Cemetery Man. I know. that I'm so shocked by that. I'm so surprised. Seth pointed that one out. I can't believe I forgot that one. Also, Blade. Duh. Um, and actually, it was Jamie. I think he thought of that probably right after we got off the air. And that always happens. As soon as you're done with it, you're like, oh, I can't believe I forgot that one. And then many people have pointed out, including Corey and Dark Dave, Nightmare on Elm Street 5, where he, he actually he turns into... Uh, a motorcycle. I mean, it deserved a mention. It's not good, but it deserved a mention. <laughs> it was a lot of fun. Thanks to Jamie, and thanks for all everybody for all the great feedback. As we're moving on, we we're still digging into the topics that we are, were suggested right on the Fright Club podcast Facebook group. Hint, hint. There should be some sort of sound effect that goes off when I'm pushing that Facebook group. So if you're not a member, just send a, send me a request, and I'll accept it in a second. But uh, we put that word out on the Facebook group and got a lot of great topic suggestions and we're still working off that. Oh, and we will be for a while. Yeah. So what we did was we did a poll on the on the Facebook group, but also on Twitter to sort of pull in a, a larger group. And uh, we picked just sort of at random, we picked four of the topics that were that were in there. Poe, insects, libraries, and parks or playgrounds. And Poe won Twitter pretty handily, but he lost Facebook Pretty handily, which is, I'm just curious what that means exactly. And libraries basically, it, it leveled out so libraries went. That's cool. And I know we have a few, I think more than a few librarians in the Fright Club group, the Fright Clubbers. We do. We love librarians, we yes. Love, especially and, this week. Right. Well, I think the topic the topic came from Pina Joe, uh, beloved Pina Joe, but then Brandon Thomas, who is not only a Fright Clubber, but he writes for Mad Wolf, so he's very much one of us. Um, he's also One of right. Us. I was waiting for it. He's also a librarian, so we're we're lousy with librarians. Especially this week, we're going to add one more to the uh, Fright Club posse here because it was really cool in doing research for this podcast. 
I stumbled across this great website. It's reallibrarians.com. And it's, it, it, it impressed me so much that I had to say, we were going to tape uh, just a few nights ago. And I said, no, we can't. We got to put it on hold and reach out to the people behind this website and get them on here. And we're so happy that Jennifer Snook Brown accepted our invitation. And she is our special guest, a real live in the flesh librarian who's also a big movie buff. Jennifer, welcome. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. And thanks for reaching out and that we could do this together. I I think it's cool if you go to the first page there on reallibrarians.com, you sum up your mission with with a math equation. Yes, it's librarians plus movies equals real love. Real with two E's, that, right? Right, real with two E's. It's a pun that really works visually and not so much, <laughs> you know, auditory, but y'all get it. Well, this is great because we're going to run down our list here of favorite library moments in horror. And then if you would agree to come back maybe in a few months for a future episode, then we'll really dig into some of the your favorite and our favorite librarians in horror, if that works out for you. That would be awesome. I'd love to come back and, and delve into librarians, especially killer librarians. Nice. Same kind. See, she's our people. I like this. Totally I like this. <laughs> this is going to work out very, very well. All right. So before we get into our, our final list here, I know, Hope, you've got some You've got some also-rans. Deserve a mention? Yes, I do. Because, you know, it's um, the first time we talked about this, when it was first suggested as a topic, I mean, I, I was all over this, and I immediately thought we could do two, because you can do one that's just about microfiche, and then you could do another one that's not about microfiche, but is about libraries. And then I didn't even think about, of course, the third one about librarians themselves. I don't know why, actually, uh, Jennifer has a theory as to why it is that, that libraries are so popular in horror, but part of it is... I'm, and, and I'm nostalgic about this because it's all changed now. That scene where the sleuth used to go to the town library to look up who used to own this haunted house or, you know, to, to get the dirt on what is going on that is causing the horror in their life. Now they just Google it. Now that's the cliche scene in every movie at the beginning of Act Two where they just get online and start Googling information. And that's where they come across the same scenes where you just see a highlight of a sentence at a time and then, uh, you know, a well-placed satanic drawing from some book from the 16th century and and you used to actually have to go to the library to get that stuff it's funny to me if this was such an incredibly common scene in horror movies up until you know the mid 90s and now like urban legend might be the last one that i remember to really do it so the more i i looked into it kind of the sadder i got that we've lost this scene completely I think that's a really good observation about sort of this nostalgic bit of technology that's outdated. But I also kind of love it when they show close-ups of of like Google searches or like whatever fake Google that they're using to stand in for that. Because for me, I geek out because I'm like, what keywords are they using? Is this... skills? And I I actually uh, often write about that too on my blog. How do you feel about microfiche? Oh my goodness, I just had a conversation about microfiche versus microfilm and how there's a difference. And libraries often still have it because it is actually good technology and a lot of archives have it, like newspapers. Some like town newspapers, they're only available on microfiche mm-hmm. and there's you know, specific equipment, but there's this whole move to digitize it as well. But there's so many resources like newspaper reports and that's the scene often in movies that you see. Yeah. Like it's news for articles exactly but there's so much more that's not digitized so it still has a place but they're just in the back of the library they're not up front anymore 
Well, we almost had a top five here of microfish because you you have nods to Silence of the Lambs, Amityville Horror, Candyman, and The Ring all in the microfish category. So. Oh, we could do more, but those are the best ones. Those are the mm-hmm. best microfish scenes, especially I think I think the very best one might be Amityville Horror. And then looking at uh, just some some also rands that almost made the list. What do you got? Well, Clockwork Orange, which I thought there's so many times where I say this, I really thought Clockwork Orange was going to make the final list because there's a great scene in the prison library where the chaplain thinks that because he spent so much time in the Bible that he's really turned a corner. And in fact, he's just imagining himself at the height of Roman fashion whipping Jesus because he's a, Alex is a bad guy. And then blackmail is another one. Not much takes, this is 1929. It's uh, early Hitchcock. It's got to be the first of the thriller slash horror films that use a library, but it's mainly the guy jumps off the top. So there's not a lot in the library itself, but it's, it's worth seeing. You should check that one out. Urban legend, as I say, it's just a good jump scare. It's not a great scene. It's just a good jump scare. The Church, it's a terrible movie. It's one of those bad Italian, but it it's is. it's so bad. But it's got a great library scene. The Ninth Gate, which he's like a book historian. So 35% is in, is in libraries. Another 60% is in bookstores. And then it's not a horror film at all, but John Wick 2 has my favorite murder in a library. And do you mean John Wick 3? Because that's the one that's the New York Public Library in the fight scene. I do mean John Wick 3. Good call. See, look at this. She comes in here and just starts showing you up. Man. (laughs) (laughs) Nicely done. So that's some of the ones that didn't quite make our list of uh, favorite horrific moments in the library. This is not just about librarians in horror, but trust me, we will get to that when uh, Jennifer joins us for part two uh, weeks down the line. But we want to get into our top five library moments in horror. So you want to just dive in? Yeah. Let's go to 1995. Two detectives, a rookie and a veteran, hunt a serial killer who uses the seven deadly sins as his motives. It's seven. Gentlemen, gentlemen. I'll never understand. All these books, a world of knowledge at your fingertips. What do you do? You play poker all night. Hey, we got culture. Yeah, we got culture coming out of our ass. How's this for culture? <laughs> so not a ton happens in this scene. Um, and one of the reasons that I chose this scene is because it's like it, it takes every single one of those cliche moments where somebody does the research in the library and it turns it into something that is actually beautifully shot, incredibly well acted and moves the entire plot forward in a very organic way. So, so often in these films, the whole thing just comes to the screeching halt and it feels very contrived. But when David Fincher directs it, he, he lets you like, it's all the things you're expecting. You're expecting this really elegant library that's dark. And these, I don't know why they always have those beautiful green lamps on all of the tables, but they always do. And they do in this one, you know, and, uh, but between Morgan Freeman and it's the same thing. Somebody delivers him these giant books. He just, we just see it on the montage of him flipping through, finding these medieval drawings, photocopying them, making stacks of them. We just see highlights of specific terminology that he's finding just willy-nilly as he thumbs through these books that somebody brought to him. But the way that it's put together and the way the music is glorious and the way that it... As he looks at something, for example, he kept, he keeps finding this old pen and ink drawing that involves a decapitation. And then they will flip out to Brad Pitt's character, who's also doing some research and kind of rubbing his eyes and looking at these very graphic photos of the crime scenes. And then they go back to this beautifully lit, 
beautifully sound escaped uh, library where there'll be some other thing that's going to trigger, you know, they'll show another decapitation and they cut back and Gwyneth Paltrow is peeking in on Brad Pitt. So they there's so much foreboding happening. And it's so much it's it's so much that same scene that we saw in so many horror movies, but it's done so beautifully that it had to be the one we chose. Yeah, I really love this scene because um, it's showing, you know, the after hours uh, scene in a library and it's got the library uh, security guards who allow Morgan Freeman in. So clearly there's some history there. This is not the first time that he's done this. And I really love this scene because it's like you said, it's so cinematic and libraries are often cinematic. You know, the rows of books, the peeking over the books to see inside. I mean, it's just perfect for a horror film. And I love the juxtaposition of the classical music, which is so cerebral. And then you have those gory drawings, you know, inside of that. But in the, and it's funny, like Fincher was definitely like into those library lamps, those green library lamps. Oh, yeah. But I have to say, as a librarian, this is where my librarian geeky side comes out when I'm watching a movie. I'm like, that is so unrealistic. It takes so long. It takes so long to close down a library and somebody has to go in there and turn off all those lamps. I'm like, okay, this is, you know, the what's that called? The suspension of disbelief Mm -hmm. when it comes to a movie. But, yeah, it's a beautiful scene. And I'm sure I don't have to tell you, but one moment in the film since it was 1995, about halfway through Someone states that it's not necessarily legal to monitor library records, but then that was made legal right by the Patriot Act. Well, actually, there's more about that because librarians actually push back um, about that. And that actually requires a court order and a judge's order for that. Um, So that was a huge deal in libraries about how we go about that and to how that we actually make sure that we're following the law mm-hmm. and require them an actual order and, and judgment. And it's known as, oh goodness, I've forgotten now, but there's a group of librarians called the Connecticut Four who um, in 2005 with the Patriot Act, they were served, you know, the national security letter and they actually pushed back on the behalf of uh, patron privacy, library user privacy. And it was a big deal in the library world um, to clarify that the Patriot Act, they needed a judge's court order to be able to get patron records. So, yeah, I think about that when I watch that movie, too. Just anyway. one more example of librarians being our heroes. Yay! <laughs> hey, would even give a shout out to uh, your library. Where are you a librarian? I work at Tacoma Community College Library in Tacoma in the state of Washington. Nice. Nice. All right. Moving up to number four on our list of library moments in horror. This is the summer of 1989. A group of bullied kids band together to destroy a shape-shifting monster. It's the big screen version, part one of It. Here's another one, I guess, where, I mean, more happens in this library scene than happens in Seven, but still, there's a lot of page turning, a lot of looking at pictures. You see some some things in the background before uh, he gets his attention gets carried away and he wanders off and has a little a scary moment. But it's it's one where you really have to pay attention to all the things that are going on 
around him as he's doing research in the library. You do. And I think one of the one of the reasons that these scenes are sometimes very effective is that they are really quiet, which they would be because they're in a library. So it is. It's asking you to pay attention, to look at what the, Ben, the character, is looking at. But then also in this movie, if you look around, this is the first instance of a creepy librarian. Because she comes over and she's kind of judgy. She's kind of mean. And you think, don't be mean to this kid. He clearly has no friends. But then while he's doing his research, if you just scan the crowd and see what she's doing. Right. I, at the time, I kept expecting her to turn into I did too. Pennywise. I did too. Because she's kind of got red hair and she just is looking. She's smiling a lot, but she's looking very menacing. It's a really, very. it's a very cool effect. I, I really like this uh, movie and the, the sequel, It Chapter 2. And at the very beginning of this scene, there is actually a looming librarian. In the very, she's out of focus, but she's got that evil grin that Pennywise has. So I think that you're right on with the, is the librarian going to be Pennywise as well, you know, that evil grin. And I think it, again, plays into that stereotype of librarians, you know, being scary. And I also had a similar expression of thought when when she comes up to Ben and asks, like, don't you have any friends? And my literal reaction, and this is in my blog post about it, I literally said out loud, judgy bitch. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. It is, I think, also fun at the at the toward the end of the scene before he leaves the library and goes down into you know sort of the basement where they they keep files and things. That just the one balloon over there, which is so it's an, it's early enough in the film that it's still just enough to be like this tingling menace, like ah, there it is. Right, and that that goes back to the 1990 version, which I'm sure y'all get into. Well, speaking of, let's uh, move up to number three on our list. And this one is set in 1960, where the seven preteen outcasts fight the evil demon. This is the 1990 version of It. Come on up, Richie. I got a balloon for you. <laughs> Don't you want a balloon? <laughs> What's the matter? One balloon. Not enough. Try it! <laughs> One of the reasons I love the scene, there are a thousand reasons why I love the scene, and one of them is that it's not your typical uh, horror movie. I'm doing the research in the library scene. It's completely different. And also because Tim Curry is glorious in this. He's so good just cracking these stupid jokes about Prince Albert in a can uh, while the all of these balloons descend and then, you know, blow up one after another full of blood that only Richie can see. It's such a creepy scene. And then he's shouting real loud so he can't hear Pennywise shouting at him. And the poor librarian, this very young librarian, is just like, uh, you know, she's shell-shocked by what's happening and why this man is screaming in her face i just think i don't love that i especially don't love the part of the 1990 version where it's focuses on the the adults i think it's a a lackluster version of this story but that scene is incredibly well put together and super effective and you forgot to mention harry anderson's outfit Uh, it was well it was funny (laughs) that's one that just reinforces how scary tim curry is 
in in that role and what made part one of that for me is just so so scary I mean he's so good in that that it was one of those deals almost like every time someone new has played the Joker because the person before was so good I mean Skarsgård did a great job in the movie but man Tim Curry was so incredibly iconic in that and probably for a lot of people embedded their fear of clowns just from his performance yeah so when I think of that version of it the 90 version the very first image is that balloon popping in the library and blood everywhere. I mean, it's just so visceral. But I do need to give a shout out for the second half with the adults because Tim Reed as the adult Mike Hanlon, who's the town librarian, and uh, Isaiah Mustafa played that same character in the It Chapter 2, the recent one. That librarian, he is the true hero of the story. He's the one who stays behind. He's the answer man. He's, I think they call him that. He's the researcher. He's the one who draws them back to town to figure out how to kill. Um, and it's important that, you know, as the only black member of the friends group, you know, the losers club, there's a lot there about why he is the one to stay behind, right? That institutional memory. And the 2017 It Chapter One, they actually changed that story of like who was doing, who was responsible, who was interested in the history of that town. They changed that character to Ben in the 2017 version, which to me was a loss of that character because mm-hmm. Mike is such an important character as the, for me, the the foundational hero and the end for that story. So librarian bias, I have to admit it. Well, at least you admit it. Yes. <laughs> the 1990 version of it, that is our number three on our library moments of horror. Taking us up to number two, this is one that centers on the next great psycho horror slasher, giving a documentary crew exclusive access to his life as he plans his reign of terror over the sleepy town of Glen Echo from 2006, Behind the Mask, the rise of Leslie Vernon. The boy murdered Silas, buried his body in the field, and dragged Molly from the house, hanging her in the farm's apple orchard. You have to tell me what happens to me. This is one we always like to talk about because we find that not a lot of people have seen it. I remember when we, back so long ago, when we're still doing our live events, we had this live and so many people had not seen it and everybody loved it. And it's be kind of become a little bit of a cult classic, although still, I think, underseen. Yeah, it's one of those movies that I can't imagine anybody disliking. I mean, especially if you like horror. It's just, it's a hard movie not to like. It's very clever. Nathan Basil, who plays Leslie Vernon, is just awesome. It's not like a lampooning, which you see a lot of of slasher movies. It's really very affectionate, but at the same time, it just draws your very specific attention to all of the the notes, really the hero's quest of the slasher films. And, of course, that means that there is a library scene. There's a scene where they go to the library to learn the backstory. And one of the reasons that this one is, well, really partly because every time this movie stops and closely examines a a trope in the slasher, it does it so well. But the chef's kiss here is Zelda Rubenstein. And it was her last movie, her last film role, and she plays the librarian. And that's where we get, instead of going and studying the microfish, we get the story from her and and in, in that incredible voice that is so, so well-known, and that's the scene that we're talking about for uh, for the rise of Leslie Vernon. And really, that's it for the library, right, for the library scene in this movie. But you're right, it takes apart all those different tropes of the slasher movie and does it so well. 
and gives us the backstory here uh, from Zelda the Librarian. Have you seen this one, Jennifer? I have not. I was totally unfamiliar with this. So I'm one of the, you know, people that you mentioned who are unfamiliar with this movie. I'm excited. I'm intrigued to to watch it. And I need to add it to my list, clearly. Yeah, it's one. I, I don't really know why. It, it must have not gotten any marketing at the time because still so few people... Uh, have really seen it when you when you run into a lot of horror fans. That's one that they uh, they have to dig up. But yeah, I will be surprised if you don't like it. So you'll have to get back to us when you do. I will. But you know, it kind of worked out because you gave us a movie that even Hope hadn't seen as one of your favorite librarian horror movies. That's right. Chainsaw Sally, uh, indie film, kind of classic or maybe cult classic indie film from 2004. And Chainsaw Sally is the main character and she is the she is a serial killer librarian so really excited oh yeah i can't wait to watch that one i'm very excited we'll talk more about that when we have you on next time all right before we get up to number one on our list let's talk more about reallibrarians.com that is your site and i was scanning it like i said doing research for this i was so impressed i mean you have different blog posts getting into all different not just horror movies right about librarians just but just librarians in general in in movies Yes, that's right, because librarians are in all types and genres of films. We're particularly strong, I would say, in horror films. (laughs) Um, But yeah, (laughs) which, you know, is kind of a weird thing to say and I think unexpected for people to hear. But I also surprise librarian colleagues with how many movies that we are portrayed in as well. So, yeah, I've been actually researching this for about 20 years since my undergrad days. It was the topic of my undergraduate thesis because I knew I was going to become a librarian. And then I've been doing the website for almost 10 years. So, yeah, I get into a lot of different things, but particularly with horror movies, it's interesting to that we run the gamut as well. And by we, I mean librarians. Like, we're main characters. We're, like, those supporting characters. And there's a lot of movies that just have the library set, but not librarians. So I go into all of that as well, and it's super fun. And are you the only uh, the only person who writes for your blog? Yeah, I'm the creator of it. I write uh, almost everything on the blog. I do have some guest posts from librarians who I usually reach out to them and they'll post. And I, I say that because I'm having a couple of guest posts upcoming um, in the next month or so. But yeah, I primarily write and I publish two posts a month. Um, the second and fourth Wednesdays of every of every month. When I started it, it was three times a week. And yeah, I couldn't keep that up, but it's a, um, it's a lifelong research passion project. Well, I highly recommend you check it out. I got when I stumbled upon it, I got lost in there for a while. And it's real dash librarians.com. So good job, Jennifer. I love it. Thank you. And it brings me to a whole host of interesting people and experiences. And like already y'all have added another movie to my list. And it's just amazing. It's just, I feel like I have this network, growing network of friends um, and family who are now that you know about librarians, like you always like looking for them. And then I get contacted by, you need to add this movie to your list. So it's been great. So I appreciate I appreciate this connection uh, with y'all and this oh. and me finding out this podcast as well. And we appreciate it very much. So very quickly, when was the last time you had to throw somebody out for being loud? <laughs> Never. 
Never. That's a common misconception uh, with with uh, libraries and librarians where, I mean, we do have some quiet spaces and some libraries, you know, like uh, rare books libraries, you know, and archives may have, you know, uh, sound rules. But I chuckle sometimes when people come up into the library and they apologize for speaking or they apologize for asking a question. And I'm like, no, this is why we're here. We're here for people to research and and it's, and it's a public place. It's a community space for people, for art and culture and all of that, like the security guards in seven, we've got culture, right? (laughs) And And so, and I was like, please don't apologize. We're here for the community. We're here to help you do research and answer questions. Um, So that is, and I, but I think that that common like misconception of, you know, quiet and shushing and, you know, rules based, I think it lends itself to horror because it's playing off of that, you know, like what happens if you break the rules? what happens? And it's just ripe for the horror movie genre. I think that makes sense. While we are doing some shout outs, I want to draw everybody's attention to the fact that Pina Joe, Katie, who is a librarian at the Upper Arlington Public Library, co-hosted a podcast called The Library Gals this week. So you guys should check it out. I think the point here, librarians are taking over. (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty clear. Taking over this podcast for sure as we move up to number one, our favorite uh, horrific moment with libraries, and it's three former parapsychology professors setting up shop as a unique ghost removal service. What else is it going to be? Who are you going to call, Ghostbusters? Hello. I'm Peter. Where are you from, originally? Shh. All right. Okay. The usual stuff isn't working. Okay. I have a plan. I know exactly what to do. Now stay close. Stay close. I know. Do exactly as I say. Get ready. Ready? Get her! I don't think we have talked about Ghostbusters on this podcast before because, truth be told, it's not a horror film. We never have? I don't think we have because uh, I don't think it's ever made the list. I mean, I'm sure tangential conversations, but I don't think it's ever made the list because it's definitely a comedy that happens to be about ghosts. Uh, Not a horror movie at all, but I couldn't possibly see talking about librarians and libraries and horror without talking about the, the great first scare in Ghostbusters because for a lot of people... It's the only scary part of Ghostbusters, and she is. She's scary, and it's so funny the way they shoot the scene because Bill Murray, he's got to be the one, right? He's got to be the one, Venkman. He's got to be the one who goes and and talks to her. But you know right away, you're like, no, you're going to get in trouble because you talk too much. And she she gives him the— She shushes him. She shushes him. She does. And then he's like, back up, back up. Let's rethink this. And then, of course, the great, you know, get her. It was so good. But it's such a great— scene and it's such a creepy ghost and when you can do like the freeze frame of it and she's got almost like they're like hippo teeth they're like big wooden teeth which creeps me out to no end anyway it's a fairly perfect scene i totally agree it's such an iconic scene and i just love the juxtaposition of this you know stereotypical librarian you know at the beginning with the bun and the high neck like victorian dress and like she's the one scaring everybody and i love this thing like scared the socks off some poor librarian because there's some other librarian characters there's alice who's the library who gets her 
who gets her socks scared off by the library ghost. And I remember reading, or it was the uh, DVD commentary for this movie, that that scene, you know, where the library ghost gets scary, that was one of the first special effects that they did. And when they were testing it for audiences, they knew they had a hit, or they knew that the film would work because that scene scared them. And yeah. so they knew it. Scary librarian, we got a hit. Yeah, and actually, as they were, uh, from what I understand, as they were preparing for it, they first had a more, even more scary version of the puppet that they used, but that was rejected. But that puppet went on to appear in the 1985 version of Fright Night. Wow, I wonder if it was uh, the girlfriend at the end when she has all those teeth, because that's a creepy puppet. Oh, I betcha. I betcha that's right. That would be the scariest librarian ever. And of course, there's a lot of... The, at least the outside of Ghostbusters is also remembered for the outside of the library as far as because this was a great intro to what was going to happen. But then the outside of the library is shown a lot. Yeah. And actually, it's a funny thing. Uh, I went the first time that I ever went to New York, uh, I went with well, I was working for a publisher and I went with my editor and we were we had the afternoon to just go tool around. And that that was it. That was the only place I wanted to go. And that was why it's not because I went inside and <laughs> checked out books. I wanted to see the outside of the library because of Ghostbusters. And I wasn't 15. I was an adult and I made my boss find this so we could take a picture of me on those steps. Somehow, I don't think you're the only one that's ever done that. Such an iconic library scene in horror movies. Number one had to be Ghostbusters from 1984 for sure. And uh, Jennifer Snook Brown from reallibrarians.com has been our guest. But you've already agreed. You can't back out now. You're going to join us later. You're going to join us in, in a few weeks or so. And we'll have you back on and we'll talk about librarians themselves. <laughs> librarians. And I know you got a bunch of those on your list probably to talk about. You've got some faves. I definitely do. I'm so looking forward to coming back and talking about librarians, especially main characters in mean, horror films, because there's so many great, scary examples. We've talked about the website. It's reallibrarians.com. That's real-librarians.com. Is that the best place to find you? Where else can we find you anywhere else uh, on social media? That's the best place, yeah. There's lots of uh, great blogs on there. And actually, too, some great conversations in the comments uh, that's how I got a hold of you. It's always fun to see when people are engaging, you know, amongst themselves into something that you've written. So it's a lot of fun. Thank you so much. I'm glad that you checked it out. And of course, you always know you can find us uh, on Twitter. We're at Fright Club Pod. That's the best way to keep the conversation going. Let us know if there's any that we missed, any that should have been higher, should have been lower, your favorite library moments in horror. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. It's Mad Wolf. Columbus and the main website where you can find all of our written movie reviews and our other weekly podcast about all the new movie releases called The Screening Room. That's all right there at madwolf.com. So for March, we're going to take a break from the um, recommendations because we already had some things planned. The Oscar nominations are going to come out. So we're going to do, which is really, I think, my favorite one every year. We're going to do a Skeletons in the Closet. So we'll talk about some Oscar nominees in their bad horror past. That's always so much fun. And also, March is the month of our son's birthday. So this year, he is going to join us, and we're going to do a podcast on screwed-up families in horror. And that should be super fun, and, and maybe not. no it will be all right all that is coming up soon Uh, keep in touch if you can please check out reallibrarians.com this is just part one of our talk with jennifer snook brown it was a blast to have you on love having this perspective of a real live superhero librarian right here on fright club so thank you so much and we will talk again soon thank you all 
All right, so until next time, she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And this is the Fright Club Podcast. Do the honors, Jennifer. Stay frightful, my friends. Yay! <laughs>